back to Team Nobody. Patrick is here again. I'm really excited for this episode. I'm not going to lie. There, this next guest, you know, has, first of all, she's also a podcast host, which I feel, I don't know, I'm a bit nervous about this because she's got a lot of interviews under her belt, but we kind of talked about it and it should go well. But Mariska Neal is here to join us. She's an artist. She's an environmentalist, a podcast host. But the thing that really drew me to Mariska is just her, she's just passionate about sustainability. And Kyle and I have talked about the environment in several, several different realms, whether it be through regenerative agriculture, whether it be through just climate overall, or lots of different aspects of the environment. But Mariska is just passionate and, and uses trash to, in, to um, talk about sustainability and, and use it in her art form. And so we're going to talk about that. And she's got some other things going on. Mariska, welcome to Two Nobodies. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be, um, you know, talking to you today and share a little bit about uh, the stuff that I've been doing. Yeah, and that was great. such a great intro. I feel like very, very honored and humbled by that. Thank you. Oh, well, you're welcome. You know, I was, I was, when we were setting this up, you're actually the first, well, we've had guests from the United States and, and that's as far as we've gone sort of internationally, but um, you're in Perth, Australia. And I was thinking, I'm like, Okay, Edmonton, what would be the other side of the world? And so I actually looked this up and we're, it's, it's far away from Perth, but it's still the Southern Indian Ocean. So we're, we're, <laughs> let's just say we're pretty, you're pretty much on the other side of the world, which is kind of neat if you think about it. Um, and so that's kind of cool that we get to talk to each other. And I, I, I love that, you know, we can have this kind of human to human connection today. So, yeah, I mean, gosh, like Perth is literally the most isolated country in the world, <laughs> like, Sometimes we feel it, but um, yeah. yeah, it's been it's been great, you know, uh, being here the last couple of years. Um, yeah. yeah, so been been a little bit traveling all over the world and living all over the world. So okay. um, it's great being actually in the same place for a couple of years. So yeah, what brought you to Perth? Uh, my husband's work. So we um, we actually lived in the Middle East for quite some time. Absolutely mm. loved it. Um, great, you know. Uh, kind of that's that's where my journey started, believe it or not. And yeah, and then we decided to make the move to Perth. Uh, fingers crossed we can actually get citizenship in a mm. short while. So that's kind of why we decided, you know, to go from the Middle East to here. And um, yeah, just like kind of um, seeing, seeing how everything goes. And then literally we moved to Australia a couple of months, like in December 2019, so just yeah. before COVID hit. And okay. um, I kind of, you know, had this idea because I was very um, involved with a few projects with Expo 2020 that was in Dubai. Um, you know, it, it was like back then you're like, oh, it's okay. You know, you can always like travel when you need to. And then that was totally off the table. Like, you know, you couldn't. And yeah, mm. so that was a bit um, interesting. And obviously being in this like isolated uh, like place, it was a little yeah. bit hard. But um, yeah, I guess, you know, we kind of just like had to soldier through and do what it is that we needed to do. 
Yeah. And so you said Middle East with that in talk about Dubai, I'm assuming it was the UAE then that you were, is that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. So, so we lived in, in the UAE. Um, actually, so I'm originally from South Africa. Okay. <laughs> so okay. That, that I've got a very like mixed accent as well. Cause it's got like this Aussie slang in. So I lived yeah. in, uh, <laughs> like in South Africa for most of my life up until, okay. uh, 2010. And then um, me and my husband moved to Dubai, which was supposed to be only be like one year, which was one mm. year. <laughs> and then we moved on to Australia where we lived for another two years again in Perth. And, okay. then, um, and then we moved back to the Middle East. And yeah, and then, you know, 2019, we decided to come back to Australia. And yeah, so we'll see. I mean, like I've always said um, that, you know, I would love to like visit all the countries in the world and actually live in more countries because mm. that's something that inspires me. And it's something that really inspired me through my artwork. If you look at so many of my art pieces as well, they are inspired from photographs that I took, you know, when we went to a trip to Cuba, because I feel mm. That's it's it's so important for me to kind of get that connection with people from, you know, other countries and see how it is that they are doing things. And, you know, um, and a lot of the times it it is also it kind of brings me back to being so humble and appreciative for the things that I have, you know, yeah. that I have access to, because you don't always realize that, you know, in some Ugandan um, small towns that you know, the woman actually has to go and get the daily water and they have sure. to like walk kilometers for that. So, so yeah, for me, that's, that's always been, you know, um, really important to like kind of widen my spot, like scope. And, um, and one thing that really inspired me as well, uh, one of my really close friends, Salavalo. So he's actually, um, from the U S but lives in the middle East in the UAE okay. as well. Yeah. And he was one of the youngest people to actually travel to every single country in the world by the age of 27. What? <laughs> so, so we always have these interesting conversations, you know, like, um, how are they doing things here? You know, where is the cleanest water or, you know, can you remember how recycling worked in Germany? I'm trying to like figure something out. So right. yeah, when you, when you have someone like that and you know, like he's, he's just such an amazing human being because you know, he's experienced all of this and, you know, he knows, you know, how some cultures actually work because he's actually either lived in the country or, you know, visit them and, you know, experience a few things. So, yeah, so that was kind of, you know, what I, what I like to do. And I know there's like the sustainability aspect of that as well. So it's trying to like, <laughs> you know, juggle that as well. Cause yeah. I know a lot of people are like, oh, you can't fly because sure. you know, that's not really sustainable. Right. You've, you've got all this carbon footprint that's related yes. to yeah. that. So yeah, so that's kind of like always a little bit of the juggle. So, you know, you try to offset it um, with different, I mean, yeah. there's different companies that can help you buy that. Sure. Um, but yeah, in the end, you know, um, for me, I kind of have to weigh up, you know, would it be better to make an impact, a bigger impact and, you know, touch more people and be mm. able to also, you know, see things from their perspective as well, because I think that sometimes gives you that more of like an empathetic kind Absolutely. of look. Um, yeah, and for view. sure. Yeah. I, I, you know, I would imagine that's fascinating. That person, um, what was his name again? Salavalo. Salavalo, okay. Yeah, and... I actually interviewed him on my podcast. He was one of my first guests, you know, talking oh. about his journey. I'll have to check that out. Uh, I would have imagined, though, another thing that people might be thinking about is just the cost of traveling to every country. And he did it by 
you said to his mid twenties or so, like, yeah. how, like, is that just a fallacy though? Like, can, can you travel to every country on the planet and do so in a way that's, you know, doesn't totally kill your wallet or. Yeah. I think that's something, you know, um, because I mean, at 27, you know, yeah. you don't have that type of money to be able to go and stay in like, you know, nice hotels or even just like decent hotels because mm. it adds up. But, um, you know, if you if you travel in certain ways, you don't have to fly everywhere. So he um, he goes out of his way to actually, you know, travel by land. So, you know, mm. take a bus or, you know, hitchhike or <laughs> do some random stuff yeah. like that. And also, um, you know, the moment that you start um, meeting people from different places or, you know, even, even with us, like, you know, you, there's so many different options, like you can do house swaps. So, you know, so that then again, it doesn't cost you for the actual accommodation. Right. Um, and once you start getting to meet people, you know, from all over and I've, I mean, we've kind of had it where you get introduced to someone and then all of a the sudden they're like, hey, you know, we, we're locals here, come have dinner at our place or, you know, do this. And so there's all of these ways that we can actually connect with people yeah. and it does not have to cost you like, you know, a for like five star price because now you're staying in these fancy hotels and things. And I mean, you can do couch hopping as well. Sure. So <laughs> there's different, different ways. It just depends on, you know, what you would like to do. Um, and yeah, hostels and things, you sometimes can get away with uh, cheap things like that. Um, in Europe as well, you can get one of those passes for like a couple of months and that gives you access to the train. So no matter how many times mm. you actually, you know, take it. So yeah, there's, there's, there's some budget friendly ways to yeah, do it as well that's uh th those are those are great tips and i also imagine that people can also be very welcoming right in terms of like you said they people might invite you into their home or or you said the house swap but even just you know people want to share their culture and share their life experiences with people and you have somebody who's coming from a foreign country like i think people get excited to kind of welcome folks in. you know so that's exactly yeah yeah. And um, I mean, we've been doing like whenever we travel to a different place, we would yep. do those uh, free walking tours as well. Right. So you've got actually a local person that is offering you a tour. Yes. And, you know, they um, they don't expect you to give them, you know, how much ever money. Mm. And um, so we we try to like pay them what a normal tour would be, because, you know, for us, we'd be able to do that. Sure. But if you are a backpacker, on a very slim budget like you know those people would just love to be able to share that with you and if if you can only give them one dollar because that's kind of what you've budgeted then they are very understanding they just want to kind of you know give you even more tips and stuff how you can stretch your budget with your trip as well so yeah, yeah there's there's definitely ways how, how one could do that yeah i love that um so you leave you said so you left south africa 2010 when does this sustainability passion or journey kind of kick off for you is that from like did you grow up just thinking about this stuff or was there something was there a pivotal moment or um yeah, yeah. tell me about that <laughs> so i mean i've always kind of grow grown up like you know my dad was always like kind of fixing things himself so yeah. i kind of always had that like ingrained with me you know you don't always just go and buy stuff new we try to fix it and then you know if we if it really can't get fixed we mm. 
try to get someone else to fix it. And if it really can't get fixed, then, you know, okay, we'll, sure. you know, try and see how to, to get rid of it. Um, but it wasn't really until I, it was about 2015 okay. and I was, I think I was 29 or something mm. at that, at that point or 28. And I decided, oh, you know, I could always remember I had this bucket list of stuff to do. And um, I decided, well, one of them was actually going and climbing Kilimanjaro. That was like, you know, high on that bucket list. And I was like, oh, I wanted to do it before the age of 30. So clock's are, ticking. Now, are, better, are, you, are yeah. you a mountaineer? Like, are you, have you? No, had ex- okay, <laughs> not, all right. at all. Uh, <laughs> not at okay, all. Not at all. Okay, all right. Okay, I feel like there are more questions so, there. But anyways, continue, please. So, yeah, not, not a mountaineer, not very, like, very active, like, going on, you know, hikes and walks and things like that. Totally not. Okay. And so I decided, okay, I need to do this. And um, yeah, and I contacted, luckily, one of my friends, um, my sister's friend, she was a guide that has done Kilimanjaro so many times. So I contacted her and I was like, listen, Sarah, I need your help. I want to do this, like book me in. And um, back then, like my husband was still coming, like I had friends that was, you know, planning on coming with. And when it came to like, oh, we need to pay the deposit, my husband's like, oh, I'm not so keen on this. And everyone backed out. And I yeah. was like, okay, so this is one of those things where you can be like, okay, I don't want to go alone. So I back out and I just decided, no, I'm doing it. So I booked everything and then um, just like climbed and summited. So our By journey yourself? kind of was a little bit, um, we were three people in our group and then okay. we had like a really amazing support team that, you know, kind of helped us to like carry um, stuff. So I didn't carry like all of my stuff on my own. I did try to like limit everything. But okay. yeah, we had an amazing team that kind of did it with us. And it wasn't really until I actually stood there, you know, on summit night. It was probably the coldest I've ever been in my life. <laughs> And, um, you know, it was, it was really, really hard. And as I came to the top, you know, that like breathtaking view Mm. that you just like stare out and, you know, you, you literally on the top of Africa and me being born in Africa, I was just like, wow, this is amazing. And that just made me kind of think, you know, how, how do we keep people from it? Like, how can people experience this Mm. in like another 20, 30, 40 years? Because, you know, when we were there, um, our guides were telling us, you know, there's not as much snow as there used Mm. to be. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that has changed and, um, but they are trying to preserve a lot of stuff. And, you know, the route that we did, it was the Rongai um, route. And it was previously known as like the Coca-Cola route. Okay. And the reason being is that um, there would be people like kind of selling cold drinks and stuff mm. on the way. But it was also the dirtiest route. So people would literally walk and if they had a, a candy wrapper, just throw mm. it. Mm. Um, so and then they cleaned that all up and they were so strict now at like almost every campsite or stuff you have to kind of do a way in with your luggage okay and they've got like a percentage that they know okay you know obviously they eat food so that's going to become less and less but yeah just to kind of you know keep it um, a little bit cleaner and yeah it has made such a di- an impact but I wanted to be able to do something from my side as well that, Mm. you know, I know that I'm leaving the world in a better place and not just, you know, polluting and 
having people in 10 or 15 years not being able to experience that, I just felt was so heartbreaking and I wanted to do something. You know, it's uh, people see those situations. We see uh, maybe not Kilimanjaro in that exact situation, but people see these kind of scenarios, right, of, of trash on the street or something's happening, but you chose to actually do something about it. Right. Like that's, yeah. did you have, you, I don't know if you've reflected on that. I mean, like it's, it's, um, it's, it's amazing, right. That you, that you've chosen to just pivot and, and say, Hey, I'm going to focus on, on doing that. I think that's, I think that's fantastic. Um, first of all, Kilimanjaro, how high is that mountain? Do you know? Oh gosh, I can't remember off the top of my head. It's like, um, five, no. 5,000 meters? Oh. I, I used to knew exactly by the meter. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is, uh, well, it's the highest peak in Africa. Yeah. Um, I think it is around 5,000 meters or something. And this is your first mountain. Yeah. I, I don't know yeah, why I can't get over this, Mariska. Time. Like, I just, I, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, I think that's wild that you just like, are like, I'm just going to do this. And I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I just felt like, you know, there's, you only live once so you know either you are going to sit somewhere and think oh i you know i wish i could do that yeah. i wish i could do that or you can actually you know get off your ass and do something <laughs> yeah. you know just like go and do it because i didn't do a lot of training beforehand i wish i did <laughs> i like literally had my backpack and back then i was still living in dubai so we lived in um our building had about i think 28 levels mm. so i was doing stairs like okay. you know almost every day going up and down a few times with yeah. my backpack and just to like test out my kit i went to um the ski dubai which is the indoor yeah, ski yeah, yeah. Yeah. slope in, in dubai and um yeah just like sat on <laughs> the chairlift and went around a couple of times and like oh okay i think i need you know thicker gloves this is really cold <laughs> i think i need an extra layer because this is really cold so i kind of you know tested the kit out yeah. with that and i i think i could still probably have add a few more layers <laughs> See, this is the this is the training routine to hike Kilimanjaro is to climb twenty is to climb your stairs and to go into an indoor ski resort and just feel the coldness. Like I love the simplicity of that. Like this. Well, if if you guys live in a in an actual cold country, yeah. you know you can maybe just go outside. True. true. Yes. Very <laughs> but, good point. Yes. But yeah, we were living in the middle of the desert. It was, um, you know, like summer. Yeah. So yeah. it was outside. It was about 30, 40 degrees, um, sometimes even more. So I actually, after I had spent some time in the um, ski <laughs> ski slope, yeah. I had to walk inside the shopping mall probably for another like half an hour to hour just to like give my body that extra like, okay, it's cool, but it's it's like not as cool but it's hot it's not as hot as outside so that if you just don't go from like minus five or minus seven to like 45 degrees mm. in like a couple of minutes because mm. yeah that would just make you sick I yeah think. probably probably <laughs> when you went yeah. when you went back to the uae after having that moment and that realization you're like i want to do something here i i don't know i i i, I think that a perception of of the way life is in the uae is there's a lot of wasted energy perhaps right um i don't know if that's true for someone who's lived there would you say how would you describe 
sustainability and the approach that the UA takes to it, or just even the the people who live there, because because I think from far yeah. away, at least my perception would be that it seems like there's just there's a lot of money there, and there's a lot of spending that maybe is not necessarily is not putting in is not being put in the best place, perhaps to necessarily benefit the planet. But what are your what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I mean, that's quite a difficult one because, um, I mean, when we moved to the UAE the first time, that was in 2010, so that's like 12 years. Mm -hmm. And to kind of see how the country has grown because, you know, back then there wasn't that many sustainable options, even when it comes to like recycling and mm -hmm. things, you know, that there wasn't that much stuff that was in place. And so people were like, oh, you know, the UAE is not as sustainable. And, um, and also thinking about, you know, the drinking water is um is like desalinated yeah. uh, water yeah. so there's a whole like energy process from that um so yes you can say they do consume you know a lot of energy to make a lot of these things happen um but you know looking at how things are now you know like um dubai had obviously the expo uh 2020 which was uh in 2021 <laughs> But that was like the most sustainable expo. They had like a lot of innovations that um, that came out from there. You know, they was they were actually composting food waste. Mm. Um, they were doing a lot. So I think you know they have grown so much. Like I would say more than any other country mm. in the world in that short span of time. You know, I think a lot of other countries have been recycling for so many years, but they've been doing it. You know, since pretty much you know. 20, 30 years maybe, right. um, where they stepped in and yeah, they're not perfect at this point, but they are, you know, making these steps towards a more sustainable um, like country. Yeah. And, you know, the, the crown prince, uh, he like has a get together like once a year mm. on his yacht, which is <laughs> maybe not the most sustainable, but um, they kind of go out and they try to come up with ways how they can ex um like extend the really like lovely um time in dubai which is like you know your your winter because mm. then it's not as hot so they they try to extend that because obviously you know the, the planet is heating mm. up and they come up with some really amazing ideas like you know to plant more trees to make sure that you know we can actually reduce temperature so then we don't have to use as much energy to you know cool stuff down yeah. or you know how do we instead of flying all of the food in because you know years ago all of the food if you would go to a grocery store you would see you know oh these apples are from spain all these imports. lemons are from here yeah. everything's imported yeah. And, you know, now, like, I'm so excited because I've been working um, so closely with a lot of these farmers that's actually farming in the Middle East mm. and, you know, farming and they are producing bananas mm. in the Middle East. So, um, so I definitely think they have taken this and they are trying to, you know, see how can we make stuff more local and use less energy for some of this. Um, so... Yeah, there is a lot of energy that's being consumed. And I mean, it is sometimes seen as the city of lights because when you go there, mm. it's just like all of these buildings and things. Um, that's what we see, right? And, like yeah. that's what the public sees, yeah. right? Of, of Dubai and such, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, there's, there's some great um, agriculture movements happening. Mm. Um, you know, farmers that's actually farming tomatoes 
in the middle of the desert. Mm-hmm. So it's it's happening. It it is definitely slowly, slowly um, increasing. And you know, if I if I just compare it to like South Africa, where I'm originally from, you know, yes, there's an abundance of energy in the UAE, but in South Africa, like just thinking of my my mom, you know, she has about three or four blackouts every single day where, you know, the power is just out mm. and you don't sometimes know, is it going to be out today? Or, you know, um, how do I prepare? Like, do I go and buy extra food to actually freeze? Because, you know, my freezer might be out and all of my food's going to go off and things like that. So, yeah, so it's like total <laughs> opposite worlds. And, um and I definitely think, you know, there's so many initiatives and things that's happening where, you know, people are also trying to become more self-sufficient mm. because there's this pull for that. Because if you just imagine, you know, if we were in, in South Africa now, I couldn't guarantee that, you know, we could have this interview because I'm relying sure. on energy that comes from the grid. So, um, yes, unless I've got a laptop that's fully charged, we can go until the laptop's power run out. But there's so many things that um, that I think people do take for granted if they if they don't you know have access to energy all the time. Yeah, for sure. It's a good it's a good um, segue to something that I've been thinking more and more about. I mean, with the war happening in Ukraine, we see that gas prices around the world, oil prices around the world are going up. Energy security is is really yeah. becoming more front and center, and I I think it's you know you hear that there's it's at odds or a little bit at tension with the priority of of the environment right i don't know if you have any thoughts on that because people are worried about how they pay inflation is going through i don't know what it's like in australia but i think inflation across the globe is going up because the supply chains are so tight right now right people are worried about you know how they feed their families how they like you said how they can have just energy to power their homes forget about the environment like i feel like there's a definite tension here do you, are you feeling that too and and what are your thoughts on that yeah yeah definitely um and i mean it is sometimes where you sit in the situation where it's very hard for me to kind of be in a more i would say privileged um like environment mm-hmm. where i don't have to be worrying you know every single month like how am i going to be able to fill up my gas tank how am i going to provide you know food for my children because you know my salary is not getting more but you know when i go to the grocery store um milk is costing almost double what it did so i can imagine that there's a lot of people that's feeling like that um and like i mean me for one i don't we don't own a car we do sometimes drive you know my husband's company vehicle but because we live so central where we are like I walk to most of the places, yeah. um, I cycle. <laughs> if I have to go and buy a lot of groceries, I would cycle just to kind of help me with the bags and stuff to put it in my basket. So I think, you know, um, people need to kind of think about future-proofing where it is that they want to be mm. and to make sure that, you know, they are putting themselves in positions where, you know, they can either work from home and don't have to worry about driving in and out and paying that ridiculous gas yeah. fees or you know being in a position where you live in a more um self-sustained environment um, like house or whether it is a tiny house that's got solar energy and you can actually you know charge your own vehicle from your solar and you don't have to 
you know, worry ever about paying um, those ridiculous gas fees. And then obviously that's better for the environment, but it's also better for you. But I know everyone cannot afford an electric vehicle right. because there is a price tag yep. to that. So, um, so I think, you know, there is some steps that's happening. You know, there is more um, companies that, you know, are releasing cheaper electric vehicles. Mm. They might not drive, you know, 500 um, kilometers or whatever. Like a Tesla um, I'm not or something. sure how many that miles. Yeah, you don't have to buy a Tesla. And I think, you know, um, I honestly, I, I absolutely, I'm, I'm a big supporter of Elon Musk and what he's done. And I think, you know, he has in a way put like electric vehicles out of reach for a lot of people because they think, if they think electric vehicle, they think Tesla yeah. and they think I'll never be able to afford right. a Tesla. But, um, you know, now they've got their Model 3, yeah. which is a lot more affordable um, for many people. And it's like the highest or it, it had the most sales yeah. for any cars, um, which which is great because you can actually see people want to make that switch. Yeah. And um, but you don't have to buy a Tesla, you can buy um, something else. And, you know, for people that do um, have like left hand drive steers, mm -hmm. uh, the Fiat 500 is probably the best uh, value for money that you can mm -hmm. get because in California, they have to produce a certain number of this every single year, and they are almost selling it at, at, at a loss. Right. So in Dubai, you used to find them almost everywhere because people would import them because you could get them for, I think as little as like 10 or 15,000. Mm. And you know, you've got an electric vehicle. Yeah, it doesn't have a 500 kilometer range. You can maybe do 100. But uh, who drives exactly. more than 100 yeah. kilometers yeah. every single day? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I definitely think things are moving. Uh, are they moving fast enough? No. But I feel every single move that is moving towards, you know, the right direction is still a move, you know, that we can be proud of because it steers and it pushes for more change. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think you're right about the, the range piece. People, I think... I have that range anxiety, but you're right. Like most of the way we drive is commuting to work or just doing our normal errands. And, and that's probably within a 40, 50 kilometer radius for sure. And most of these cars, all of these cars pretty much can go that and, and you wouldn't have an issue. So uh, people always think about that. What if scenario, if I drive across the country or do that long road trip, right. And, and I think they get caught yeah. up with that, but there's so many options out there that you said that, can easily satisfy, you know, 90 plus percent of your life, you know? Yeah. And I mean, you can also charge the car while Absolutely. you're driving. So yeah. you just need to do a little bit of research and do um, stuff. I mean, we did like a trip um, in Dubai and one of the cars was a Fiat 500. Mm. So the mileage, not as great, but um, you know, we were like, okay, how many kilometers do you guys still have left? And they were like, oh, we only have about 20 and where we need to get is about 40 mm. to charge. So I'm not sure how <laughs> we're gonna make it. So they were like, okay, let's unload all of the weight right. in that car. So there was literally only like one person in the car. And um, yeah, they, they kind of had all the windows open <laughs> and just the way how they drove and they, they made yeah, it, they yeah. made it to the charging yeah. station. Yeah. Yeah. 
it was stressful, yes, but um, you know, if you if you kind of know what you're doing, it's it's easy to do it. And I wouldn't say do it every single time, yeah. but um, if if something like that happens, you could you know maneuver and get some charge yeah. in yeah. it. Um, what would you say to the people who who want to do something right now, but again, they're just they're up against the wall with having to make some tough decisions just because, you know, again, things are costing more and they have, they don't have as money, much money to work with. Like what can they, what can folks focus on to, cause they want to, they really do want to focus on sustainability. They want to make that change. Where do you think people should be yeah. focusing their efforts in that case? Well, I definitely think, you know, it's not like a cookie cutter where I can say, you know, this is this is the cookie cutter method for yeah, this, this yeah. and this, you know, go, there's your step yeah. one, two and three. I don't think, you know, that that exists. And I think, you know, there is kind of the stigma around there where people are saying, you know, sustainability and, um, you know, obviously sustainability starts with an S. Mm. And I think a lot of people see just the S as a dollar mm. sign that it's more expensive, but it's not, you know, um, there's a lot of stuff that that um, that is a lot cheaper because you know you are doing things a bit more sustainable. So I would definitely say you know go and evaluate what it is that um, that you use a lot mm. of. You know um, sometimes there is an initial cost that um, might be you know more than what something else might have been mm. that's not as sustainable. But you know your long term. Um, use of that product or item, you're going to be saving so much money from that. So don't see that as like an every time kind of, you know, expense. So I would say, you know, my advice would be if people want to start now to make a change is have a look, you know, um, you can have such an impact right where you are. You don't have to go and, you know, get solar installed. You don't have to go and buy a um, Tesla just to be mm -hmm. sustainable. You can do other stuff. Do small things and start with that. And, you know, like one thing is you can actually um, have a look at your bank. Um, is the bank that you are currently banking with, do they support, you know, fossil fuels? Do they, um, do they, you know, give your money to invest in dirty projects? Right. Or are they actually a bank that will, you know, finance green initiatives and, you know, real green initiatives, that that could be something that would be easy to switch. And, you know, have a look because there's a lot of online banks that might not have like an actual building where you can go and, you know, complain about certain yeah. stuff, but they're not going to charge you all of the extra yeah. fees and things that a lot of banks do. So, I mean, that's just something simple. Um, and, you know, have a look at your bin. I would definitely recommend, you know, um, see what it is that you throw away so i've got like a um beginner's guide to waste free living that's also mm. on my um like instagram link and that's got like a bin audit as well so i would say you know within the next week or two just have a look what is it that you throw mm. away just like note down okay we are throwing a lot of food waste away so i mean that is like literally almost um, a, a third of all of the food that we buy gets thrown out. So if you don't throw that third of your food away, you are going to be saving a lot. I mean, in Australia, it's something like $2,000 worth of food being thrown yeah. away. So just have a look, you know, plan your meals, maybe do instead of one big um, massive shopping trip to the store every week or every second week, 
do it in smaller stints and just buy literally what you need for the next three or four days and make sure you use everything that you actually have in your house before you go on the next trip and you know buy more food that might end up in a bin and um i mean what we've been doing as well is uh i'm I try to buy everything in at our local bulk stores. So every couple of months I go and, you know, I fill up all my jars with like the flour, mm -hmm. pastas and things that um, we often use. But I also go in the evenings, uh, probably about half an hour before the grocery store is about to close. And many of the grocery stores here actually will mark off stuff that they are going to throw out that evening, like ridiculously. So instead of paying like four or five dollar for um, a bottle mm. of milk, you can actually get it for like 20 cents or 30 cents. Right. Um, yes, you're not going to be able to use it for a couple of days, but those are great um, to I, I normally immediately put it like in small little containers and put it in the mm. freezer and freeze it so whenever i need to use milk for a mm. recipe or you know if i um if i have people coming over and i know there's a dish that requires a lot of milk i can mm. use that because now i'm paying literally cents for that milk instead of paying you know the full price and that would have gone out you know that evening so um so just have a look i mean there is definitely more ways but find what it is that you are spending a lot of money on because you know there's no point like we live in an apartment building so yes our energy bill is expensive but um the only thing that i can do is make sure to switch off stuff as we don't use it i can't go out and like buy solar power for our apartment because it's not it's not going to work because you know yeah the building's gonna have a fit mm. <laughs> and you know how do you connect it without you know, being being isolated and things. So yeah, just have a look what it is that that you can actually do and and go. And I mean, I'm I'm here if anyone needs tips and advice. You know, just ask and I'll be happy to help with certain issues because definitely each person's like kind of goal is different. And um, yeah, I would just say like you know, if you start with one thing, don't feel like you need to do everything. Start with one thing. If you go and you do that bin audit and you discover, oh my gosh, I use like so many of everything, um, don't give up everything at once because that's just mm. going to like put a, a hold because you're going to kind of get yeah. burnout because doing everything at once, it's not going to work. But if you just pick like one item and you make that, um, you kind of investigate, how can I change that if you use a lot of single use plastic water bottles? Maybe it's as easy as getting a tap, um, like a filter installed sure. on yeah. your tap. And I mean, you can get those easy yep. screw-ons. And and that's one thing. So once you've made that a habit, then move on to the next thing and make that a habit. And then, you know, just continue. Continue the yeah, journey. No, I love that. And it's almost like in order to... Um in order to be sustainable, you got to make it sustainable, right? Like you said, these kind of, these, these exactly. little, little steps and working your way to a point of, I, I know, uh, you know, my wife was like, oh, we're going to put, we're going to fill our, we're going to have all these glass jars in our cupboard now. I'm like, are we really like, I don't understand how this is going to work. And, and, and little by little, you know, one shelf after another, everything is now in jars. And it's like, you know, just I all these little, little, you know, we had our, our laundry soap now we don't get in the plastic containers but we get in these little strips that you can just kind of throw in there and they're all 
they're all oh, biodegradable yeah. and but you know it's just these little things you start to feel like you're contributing but i also recognize that and i don't know if you've heard these opinion research polls where people feel like you know they know the problem exists and and we I know we're clumping sustainability and there's so many little, there's so many issues within sustainability. I think we're clumping into the term, which I do want to talk about, but, but when people think about sustainability, they think about it's so such a big problem. What can I actually do about it? Like, how am I actually making a dent? Why do you feel internally that like you are actually making a difference when you know that the problem is so big? Yeah, well, um, I back in 2018 in Dubai, I actually wore all of my trash for 30 days to show people, you know, how much one person can, you know, create, uh, how much trash one person cr can create in 30 wow. days. So just by 30 days, so that was like, I think 145 yeah. pounds, it was 65 wow. kilos. I, my pound conversion might be off there. But um, so 65 kilos for one person for yeah. one month. So if just one person reduces their waste and because my uh, friend Marita was doing it with me, but she was doing it more sustainably. Mm. So in 30 days, all of her waste was only four kilograms. Mm. So say in, so 60, almost a 60 kilo um, difference or well, 61. And, um, you know, if you calculate that over 12 months, that is a mm -hmm. lot. That is like, you know, more than half a yeah. ton wow. of waste. Um, and that's just one person. So if you're a family of four, can you imagine how much waste that is? So, I mean, yes, we always think, you know, we're one person, how, what, what impact can I actually make? But, you know, just have a look at your waste and, you know, we, we are running out of space to actually put, yep. um, you know, these trash. So, so it's definitely something that, you know, we can, we can make a difference right there where we are. And, you know, to also look at our different skills mm. and, you know, maybe like, I mean, for me, I kind of started with my art going, um, you know, in um, my sustainable journey through my art, but someone else might be a super amazing, um, you know, researcher and for them, they could use their skill to, you know, maybe work with a company like, you know, um, the ocean cleanup where they need like really good researchers to help them, you know, see how big the problem is and how, you know, they can come up with a better solution. So I would definitely think, you know, see what you, what kind of skill set you have and, you know, what it is that you can do to really make a difference where you yeah. are. Um, and, you know, yes, the sustainability issue is a, is a big thing. Um, but, you know, like here in Australia, we just had our um, election and you could see, you know, people were voting for climate mm. change. Like it was such a big topic. And it was the first time that, you know, climate change is now yep. on the table. Like, you know, the politicians can't like, yep. you know, yep. take it away. It's there. The yep. people want it. And um, and just stand up for what it is that that you want. Um, there's a mining company. I can't remember their name now, but uh, they wanted to like kind of sell off some of the old coal um, mm. mines just because, you know, they want to be more sure. sustainable. And um, they like um, the investors and the now I can't remember what do you call the yeah, shareholders, yeah. <laughs> the shareholders actually said no, like, no we don't want that to still be um right. you know fully functional coal mills 
minds. We actually want something else. Do better. Like, do better for the environment. And so now you've got people, you know, demanding change. And I definitely think it is going to happen. You know, that snowball mm -hmm. effects is starting to happen. And I think, and I, I'm hopeful because I can see how much change is actually yeah. happening. You, um, it sounds like, I mean, when you talk about sustainability, not just focus on the waste management side of it, but you're focused on climate, you're focused on other aspects of sustainability. But do you think that, you know, so we have, we have the climate, we have all these crises, right? We have the climate crisis, we have water crises in different parts of the world. We have, you know, whether it be very little drought or, or not enough fresh water or whatever it might be. We have a waste management issue. Now recycling is, is you know, everything used to go to China. Now China's not accepting recyclables and people are having a hard time figuring out what to do with it. So they're putting it in landfills. There's, there's, there's so many different issues. Do you think that, um, it's people are people it's easier for people to focus on one of those issues than you know i always feel, i think that climate is one of those things that people care about it people want to focus on it but it's something that's just not tangible enough for them whereas like something like waste mm -hmm. or like reducing plastic and people can see it people can feel it right like you said that the visual cue of seeing would you say 50 kilograms of waste on your uh, yeah yeah, 65, 65 sorry i don't want to 15 <laughs> kilograms is a lot of weight so i don't want to take that away from you um that's a, a very appealing visual and people can really resonate with it which is which is awesome to make that to 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 link that to to an issue um but when it comes to like something like climate do you find that people are having a hard time and and are people being going to be able to get over that like that's the thing that i'm kind of worried about whether it's people are actually going to see it because it requires a little bit of empathy it requires somebody to to have that mm. mindful connection about something that they're doing here is impacting somebody on the coast of like bangladesh or something like that you know like that's a hard thing for people to internalize whereas you know putting their making sure that trash goes into the right place or limiting their trash that's a little bit more easy to to deal with yeah, I definitely think I, um, you know, that is true. You know, waste, I think is a lot, it's more visual. Um, you know, when it comes to climate change, like a lot of times people say, oh, you know, mate, it's not, it's not in my backyard, not my problem, you know? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, what, what I do here, and if I have an abundance of resources, you know, I don't really necessarily, it's not um, affecting me what's happening in other countries. But actually it is, you know, what's happening here, what we are doing here has an effect yeah. on everything. And um, I mean, for us now in Australia, um, and I mean, in the US as well, there's been so many like floods and fires. And, you know, previously people were like, oh, you know, it's not really climate change. It's because of X, Y, and Z. And, you know, trying to steer yeah. away because, um, yeah they they just didn't really want to open that can of worms but it's open like people like now in um in brisbane and like queensland areas um here mm. you know people has been affected with like by the floods a couple of months ago like literally you know your entire house everything was gone yeah. and now like a couple of weeks ago the same thing happened again so, you know, and they said those floods are only like one in like 10 years or one in 50 year floods, but you've got two massive floods happening in the span of yes. like a couple of months. So I think people are seeing that that kind of sense where they were like, oh, not in my backyard. 
well, the backyard is actually being affected now. And, you know, yes, people, yeah. and I think that's why, especially with this previous election that we've had, you know, people were like, listen, I don't have a house to live in because I can't get insurance for my house. It's too expensive. Um, mm. And, you know, my, my house is ruined and now it's ruined again. So literally everything you worked for. And it becomes more clear that, you know, it is a global issue. It's not just something that is affecting um, people here and there it it's affecting us all and you know it's going to be affecting us more and more um with with time yeah that's a great point last year in in here in canada and british columbia there was a town called Lytton, and it was um it recorded the highest temperature in, in canadian history it was at like 50 degrees celsius and it literally burnt to the ground because there was a massive wildfire wow and i think that that really raised a lot of people's attention towards the issue. You're right about climate coming to the top of the ballot in the last few elections here in Canada, at the federal level anyways. Um, climate has, in the environment, has come into the top three issues where it's always been in kind of the top five, mm-hmm. top eight issues. And, and more recently, it's been at, you know, kind of that number one position. And so it's good to hear that in Australia, because I think there's been some criticism about Australia not really showing up oh, over gosh. the last decade or so, or even more. And I know um, there have been a lot of upset people. But do you know what it, what the because it's the Labour Party that's kind of come in now, right? Yeah. Is so now right? the Labour Party's come in. So one of the big things, and I mean, like I'm so grateful for organisations. Like there's a YouTube channel called Juice Media, um, okay. and they are like you know um, kind of telling stuff as it is. So it's like almost like a satire type of t- um, you know sh- like videos but they do give yeah. like really good information. So they actually had a video on how people can, um, like how does the election work? Because a lot of people mm. didn't know, you know, like how, mm. how do you actually, which one do you put number one, number two, number three, you know, who, which party do you, if you really like a party, you know, if you really don't like a party, where do you put them? Um, so they mm. kind of came out with that. And I think that really like kind of opened up a lot of eyes because a lot of people did not know how to vote, which is scary. Mm. And right. um, and yeah, so there was a lot of people um, because both with the Liberal and the Labour Party, you know, sustainability was not high on on the mm. agenda. So you had a okay. lot of people um, that just decided, listen, I don't feel like I resonate with the Liberals, I don't resonate with the Labour, and they actually went as independents. And um, there was like record numbers of independents actually coming in because people decided these people, you know, climate change is top of their agenda and that's top of my agenda, so I'm rather going to vote for them than an actual other party. And also the Greens, like this year, they had like the most, um, you know, votes that they've ever had. So, cool. you know, they are officially the third largest party now in, mm. in the government. So, yeah, so it's definitely changing. So um, and also young people. It was amazing to speak to some of the young people here and, you know, see how passionate they are about this vote and, you know, what was important for them. And, you know, a lot of the um, the younger like people that voted for the first time actually did so much yeah. research in the candidates to know that if I'm voting for this person, this is what they stand for. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, it's definitely, you know, people, it's, it's changing. It's not as much as, you know, oh, I need to go and vote again. People know yeah. that their vote actually means something and that that yeah. vote has the power to actually change something. Yeah. 
Yeah. Do you know if local governments um, in Australia, sorry, is it states or provinces? In so Australia? states, yeah. So we've states. got the states, okay. yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so at the state level, are we seeing more action towards the environment or is there kind of similar alignment with the federal government in that very little action? And maybe it depends on state to state, but because um, yeah. I, we no, I think we're seeing um, that many local governments are taking action in the absence of federal government actually doing something. Mm. And, you know, there could be a number of reasons for it. I just wonder if in Australia, if that's the same case, if the federal government's been absent, have we seen state and local governments kind of fill that void at all? Yeah. So again, I would say that vary from state to state, um, drastically, sure. yeah, okay. but, um, but you, you can see like, I mean, obviously we, we went from, you know, the previous government that, you know, had no focus on that. So there was, you know, some of the states like WA where we're based, um, they did quite a lot to, you know, create more awareness, actually do more campaigns and also do more to, um, to actually get, um, stuff banned, like, you know, single use plastic. There was a lot of bans that was, um, put in, in place. So I, I definitely think they, they were stepping up, but um, you know, I would say def that that just depends on which state because literally it's almost like you've got all these different countries within a country because what mm. happens here is not necessarily what happens in the state next door. Um, so mm. yeah, so, but it is, it is definitely changing. And here in, um, we also have like a really amazing group, like 1 million women. So I had Natalie on the podcast as well. And, you know, so that just how they inspire like the, the female, um, females here in Australia as well as abroad mm. and to kind of, you know, ask the questions for elections and, you know, how you can actually make a switch with your power bill and things like that. So I think, you know, it's all of these little, little like groups, well, they're not little, they are more than a million women, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, that, that is driving the change as well and demanding the change. So I think, you know, if if someone is at a state um, like, you know, position, like our, our premier here, you know, that he knows that that is something that the people want and they are really taking it serious now. Not as yeah, serious yeah. as I wish they would, but um, I still feel, you know, a step forward is at least a step forward. It's not going backwards and it can just drive that momentum. That's great to hear. Um, I always wondered in, I never, I guess, I never, I was always surprised when I heard that Australia wasn't, or at least at the, the government level anyways, wasn't taking something like climate very yeah. seriously. Like so close to, I mean, Australia is very large, but still there's so much of the populace is around the coast, right? Like mm. people would naturally feel the impacts of climate change. In Canada, we have, you know, Canada's second largest country on the, on the, on the planet. There are a lot of, obviously there's, there are populations around the coast but it, it requires a little bit more sort of that moral imagination to, yeah. to understand what the people of, you know, along the British Columbian coast are feeling as a result of climate change, because there's so many folks, you know, within the prairies and in, in the middle of Canada as well. I had never understood why in Australia, the government wouldn't take this more seriously because Australia is really feeling the effects of climate change. The wildfires are just are crazy down there yeah. and i mean it's the same thing here in canada but just the coasts are are deteriorating there's so many impacts like i i, 
um, is the is there such an economic argument that the government focuses on where they're fearful of making that transition, especially on the energy side? Or what's the what's the I, fear there? Do you know? I think it kind of has a lot to do with um, obviously money. You know, so a lot of these yeah. big polluters, which is not paying taxes and you know getting away with everything, they are supporting the government. So obviously, you know, what do they do? They need money, so mm. they're not going to upset these people. Um, and I definitely feel, you know, like a country and it's not just, you know, Australia, there's many other countries that might just be, you know, short sighted that is only focused about, you know, my three or four years in office. Like I'm only concerned about this and, you know, whatever happens or whatever mess I leave, that's kind of the next person's job. You know, it's not it's yeah. not my job. Um, whereas when you when you look at other countries like, you know, um, I mean, like the UAE, obviously, I've I've lived there. So I've seen, you know, how mm. their leaders and rulers actually operate. You know, it's not just a we only doing this because in three years time, you know, someone else is taking over. No, it's actually, you know, someone from my family taking over and I want to mm -hmm. set them up for the best position. So mm -hmm. they've got, you know, like 20, 30, 40, 50 year plans and it's, um, with China as well. And so I think, you know, definitely when you when you look at that, that that is kind of what I feel is the difference, because now we are not planning um, up until where I'm out of office. We are actually planning mm -hmm. until, you know, my grandchildren is probably, you know, doing right. something. So I definitely think, um, you know, that is the difference. I feel a lot of the times because, you know, if you know something is, is polluting the environment, you're definitely not going to accept a check because, you know, it's still going to be your problem in 20 or 30 years. But yes, now yeah. you might be more concerned about getting that beach house that you really like. And, you know, obviously someone's giving me a kickback. So I think sometimes that might <laughs> might change people's perspectives. Um, yeah. And I just hope that in the future we see more leaders with vision for the future and not just being short-sighted. And I think that is what we're seeing, not just at government level, we are seeing that at like um, industries as well, where you've got a CEO that is only worried about the bottom line and making sure mm. that, you know, his bonus reflects that in, you know, three or four, four years time when he's retiring. And he doesn't care about tearing down the company where it's, right at a point where it can build back up to be a more sustainable company. So I think, you know, that is kind of ingrained in a lot of stuff. And I think it takes, you know, really amazing leaders and visionaries to, you know, put yourself in a position where, you know, the company's not going to be great at the moment, but it's going to be so much better for the future. Yeah, no, those are, uh, those are great points. And, unless unless the change is forced upon them at some point which it will be right i mm. mean i think there are some you know i think there are, you're seeing a lot of companies or you're like you said shareholders and investors who want to decarbonize exactly. a lot of you know their assets in their portfolio or decarbonize their their companies because they know they need to set themselves up for the future but i think there are going to be a lot of governments and a lot of companies that are going to learn the hard way because change is just going to be forced upon them yeah. and uh, th that's unfortunate um I want to talk a little bit about your artwork, if that's okay. I, I, I yeah. see your posts on Instagram and they're so fantastic when you <laughs> showcase all your art. Tell me about uh, how you got into that. Is First of all, have you always been drawn to art? Is that something that is yeah. within you? Or? 
Yeah, so I mean, I've always been um, creative, you know, whether it was um, painting something. So mm. I was always, you know, being like doing something creative um, with it. Yeah, sometimes I would find boxes and just like make something out of it. Um, and it wasn't really until kind of, you know, um, going back, like kind of with my Kilimanjaro journey, because I was in a job where I studied interior design. So I was working okay. um, at, a, at a company kind of, you know, designing their showrooms. And I just felt like I came to a point where I didn't enjoy that anymore because, you know, now mm. I had this kind of thing where I want to do something for the environment, but I'm sitting in this corporate job, which I don't like anymore. And mm. I'm, I'm really not doing anything for that. So probably about a week after I summited Kilimanjaro, I handed in my resignation and I was wow. like, that's it. <laughs> And then I visited. We should all climb Kilimanjaro. These <laughs> yeah, are like... go and climb it. Right? It's worth it. Okay. And right. um, and so I was kind of I, I at that point I was already you know back you know making art and um I wanted to incorporate some of these elements of waste in my artwork because I felt mm. they had a story to share and to kind of contribute and add to the story of the pieces that I was um you know sharing. And so I started with the uh, Nespresso capsules because um, I felt that they were just like so beautiful. Like, you know, when you look at these capsule colors, they are beautiful. Like, you know, the, the mm. orange and yeah, I absolutely loved it. But I wanted to kind of share with people as well that, you know, um, a lot of people didn't know that they can be recycled. They just kind of put mm. them in landfill and, you know, aluminum or alu aluminum, 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 like you would say. <laughs> Um, they, they, it's such a like, um, amazing material cause you can actually recycle it again and again and again. And, um, people were just dumping it in, in landfill. So I wanted to kind of raise awareness of that. And, um, I mean, I understand completely if people were using it because, you know, maybe they only drink one or two cups of coffee a week. So mm. then it might make sense, you know, to have that, but people that drink coffee every single day maybe it's better to switch you know to something that does not create any waste sure. just like yeah. you know a ground coffee that you know is yeah. great um for compost and things so compost yeah so yeah so i kind of you know experimented with that and then i visited a friend in south africa his like art studio and there was something that he said to me like you know um, at some point in life you got to do what you love and love what you do and that really stuck with me and I was just like, okay, cool, you know, resignations handed in, <laughs> I'm going to focus now on the art. Yeah. And yeah, so I just kind of, you know, wanted to create art pieces to be almost like an activism. So I call it like artivism. So it's like mm. art and environmentalism mm. and, um, and just really tell the stories of, you know, either the people behind these pieces, because I do a lot of portraits when I um, paint and also about the the elements that i've actually used and i'm actually about to finish a um a turtle hopefully it's done before world okay. oceans day on the 8th but um so it's all about you know the bleaching of the corals because it's all white there's no color mm. in that and you know to tell the kind of you know story about some of the pollution um that's happening you know like it's made from um single-use plastic bags as well as straws mm. so it's all of these materials that you know people kind of use on a like daily basis almost yeah. and you don't think about it 
but yet these animals are suffering the consequences. So yeah, so it's just something that I kind of like to um, to do. Obviously, I love being creative and to be able yeah. to have a great story to go with these pieces and you know to maybe have an impact on someone's life because they saw one of my pieces and that's made them you know not want to use straws again or that's made them you know switch their coffee or um yeah. made them not want to take that plastic bag so yeah so it's just like little things that i just hope you know people um kind of take with them that's very neat that's very cool and can how do people access that is it is it is simply through your instagram can anyone buy any of your pieces of artwork yeah or... <laughs> yeah so um so i i do have a lot of artwork that's um kind of you know either in collections or um being sold through some galleries there's more galleries that i'm in talks with in the future to actually um mm. represent me so then you'll be able to um, purchase it directly from them um, but yeah, otherwise there is uh, one gallery uh, in the UK, so um, Artlight, where you can purchase some of my available pieces that I've got on cool. there. Um, but I have found that I'm not producing quick enough. <laughs> so people's always like asking, you know, when, when can they buy some of my stuff? So that's when I kind of, you know, um, explored it a little bit in the NFT world as well. So okay. um, people would be able to purchase um, some of my NFTs that that has been launched as well. How does okay? So I'm still um, I still can't wrap my head around NFTs <laughs> and and I think I understand them. But how how would the how would an NFT work in in your case, right? Like so, if I'm understanding yeah. the way your physical art works, is you you reuse um, you know trash to kind of make it a piece to come to to raise awareness about, you know, issues around sustainability. Mm. So is that, is that, that's correct, right? Yes. And, yeah. and so, so if with the NFT, what do you, how would that work in terms of trying to raise that awareness and like, how are you incorporating trash and like, cause these are digital assets, obviously. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, um, so the collection is basically based around some of my original pieces. So okay. in the first phase, I've actually got 27 of my original pieces that is like kind of converted into digital pieces. And okay. um, so the reason, I mean, there's so many things um, with the NFTs that, um, you know, I, I get asked about a lot and coming from the sustainability aspect as well. Yeah. So uh, it took me quite some time because I really had to do a lot of research in all of these different, you know, platforms that there was because there was a lot of other platforms that was a bit more sustainable. But, um, you know, you would kind of I was like about to launch in there and then they would be bought over by another thing and then their name would change. And, you know, so I'm like, oh, OK, now they're gone. And then they <laughs> so that would kind of happen a lot. So um, mm. so that's why I kind of went with um a um like open sea that is a bit more well known to people and it is on the ethereum blockchain as well so i know okay. ethereum at the moment is a uh, proof of work so it does yeah. consume a little bit more energy but they are um slowly phasing in at the moment if the um ethereum 2.0 which yeah. will be proof of stake so it's going to be using a lot less energy and um yeah so i mean i could probably have a whole podcast about the nft and the stuff so um so i'm just trying to also raise awareness about you know some of the issues around that 
um, but also to be able to educate people that is already on that platform and to support organizations that is helping to make this more sustainable because you know back I would say about two years ago there wasn't that much um, renewable energy sources that's being mm. used for cryptocurrency where now yeah. you're looking at about 40 percent um, and it's is that increasing. right I didn't know that yeah yeah so it's of the energy being used for crypto for crypto is coming for from the mining yeah oh okay yeah and you've got like, um, I've got another guy, uh, John from Solana Computing, and they yeah. actually um, kind of help when when the energy is like renewable energy sources, when it kind of has to go onto the grid, there's a short like um, lag where the energy gets basically lost. So about 30% of that gets lost. So he's working to get, you know, whether it is crypto mining companies in with that or even research companies that consume a lot of energy to be able to use that that 30 percent. So then, you know, it would have been lost, but now it can actually be used um, because obviously the grid and everything is not up to date when it sure. comes to renewables. So, yeah. So, I mean, you know, when it comes to like the NFT, I wanted to create something um to really give back. And so my whole NFT is basically based on um, three pillars. So I've got like the art sector, which mm. is um, all a kind of, you know, um, my trash to treasure collection. So the NFT is actually called like the art of recycling. Okay. And the second thing is like sustainability. I wanted to bring that in um, in with throughout the NFT to kind of, you know, um, pr like educate people more about different topics of sustainability and then the third one is to be able to give back so i've actually nominated three organizations that i've been working with closely over the last couple of years um asrac and search for water and the orangutan pro um, project and i actually cool. give like a percentage of my primary sales goes directly to them oh, um awesome. yeah so i just kind of wanted to to give back and I mean the NFT project is something that will be finished over um, a couple of years mm -hmm. so every six months I will release a next phase so at the moment from that 27 um, art pieces I've created uh, 680 NFTs so each okay. one's got different characteristics so mm -hmm. there's some which is a little bit more rare than others and how I've basically done the characteristics of it is um, I've I've really focused on the three organizations and they work a lot with, um, you know, animals that are critically endangered, endangered. And so I, I kind of broke it all up in like how um, how it's classified, you know, like mm. critically endangered is one category, like endangered. I've got vulnerable. Um, near threatened um, so those are the like four which I've then selected some animals that are actually found in the places you know where these organizations do work whether it is you know in Indonesia like the um, I, and in um, like Uganda and mm -hmm. things of just like selected animals from there and then the last one like the least concern um, I just didn't feel right, you know, putting animals names on like their least concern because mm. I feel, you know, they might not be least concerned in five or 10 or even two years from sure. now. Yeah. So there I've actually um, 
gave them like stuff which I feel is an abundance at the moment and that's our plastic pollution mm. so you know some of them that's in that category is like you know the stop sucking which reflect replies to like um straws and mm. you know like the copper and useless utensils so each each art piece is you know one of those categories and yeah so it's it was quite a fun project to to create and um and then some of the categories like the critically endangered endangered and vulnerable um like their token holders will um will be able to create an actual piece with me and then you know all of the sales of that piece would go then to them to the people that's actually created it that's amazing and and thank you for the sort of fulsome description on that um, just one really quick question. So what happens to the actual physical, uh, art pieces? Like if these are been digitized now, can mm. you act, can you sell those physical pieces of art at all? Or, or yeah. do you have to keep them now? Because I, I don't know, is there, is, are there any implications <laughs> because you've turned these into digital assets, I guess? So, so most of my, um, my artwork, so I've got always like an original piece that I've got yeah. done. And then from the original piece, I would always do uh, 25 limited edition prints. Mm. And the limited edition prints would um, would be a little bit more personalized. So each um, one of the five colors, because I only paint in like five colors, um, okay. well, like tones from uh, black, like a darker gray, gray, lighter gray and white. So one of those five colors, I would actually go over and paint on the limited edition print. And I would also add elements that was actually on the original one on the limited edition one. And that kind of just started after I had like um, one of my more like famous uh, paintings, reuse, recycle and rehumanize. Um, so that one's actually owned by DJ Black Coffee. And, um, and a lot of people were like, oh, I love that piece. You know, can I, can I have a copy? Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll do this. So that's when I started with the limited uh, edition. So okay. there's only 25, but then when it come to the digital ones, so, um, they only have that, that as the digitals mm -hmm. and I won't do any more digitals that I would sell. So, um, I mean, if you've got that on your wallet, you can easily, um, one of the things we've been looking at is to get a token frame, mm -hmm. which is like a really nice digital frame that you can um, install in your house. And then you can like show your um, NFTs directly yeah. as an art piece. Cause that also frees up some wall space because, yeah. you know, living a more minimalist lifestyle, like we don't have the abundance of walls to just like hang art pieces. So that mm. kind of, you know, gives you the option to also showcase that. So it, I won't like put more digital copies than what there is. So once that's gone, it's gone. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. Um, I'm just looking at the time and I'm, I'm wondering if you're okay if we pivot to the two questions that we typically ask our guests. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so the first question is our five for dinner question, dead or alive, who are five people you would have a meal with? And would, I don't know if you, if you would have them together or separately, but what are your thoughts on that? That's a hard one. I don't know like how the vibe would be if I actually invite these people. Maybe I think one-on-one -on -one might always be fun, but okay. um, otherwise I think they might be a group like really nice people to um, to have. Some of them 
are still alive, some not. Okay. Um, and yeah, so one person who I really kind of admire is like Elon Musk. I think yeah. he's he's a really like kind of visionary. There's a lot of stuff that we have today because of, you know, his hard work and the things that he's done. So he might be on there. And I'm a Fellow huge South fan African, of his mom. Right? So, yes, exactly. Yes, a fellow yeah. South African as well. Yes. Um, so he would definitely be invited to the party. Uh, someone who I also lo love so much, um, never got to meet him, was Nelson Mandela. Mm. I think he's he would be, you know, someone amazing to actually have a yeah. conversation with. And uh, Barack Obama, mm. I think, would be another, like, fantastic person, just, you know, so much knowledge and yeah. just, like, his, yeah, very empathetic. And uh, Jane Goodall. I've met her once wow. and she's fantastic. Yeah. She's such a phenomenal person. And I didn't get to speak like to her so much, like we sure. had such a short one. So I would definitely, you know, reconvene that conversation. And the other thing, I mean, obviously now it's the Queen's Jubilee and everything. Yeah. And I just think, you know, she she's met so many amazing people. She's done so much. Um, so I think, you know, the queen might be invited with her handbag and hat to the party. <laughs> That's a great five. And, uh, I, I have a couple of those on my five. Um, I, I would have had, uh, Gandhi instead of Mandela, but I, Elon Musk, Obama and, and Gandhi were the three. And there's, there's some similarities there in the list. And, you know, think about the queen. So I'm, I'm personally, you know, not a, someone who's a big fan of the monarchy in general, but I will say this about her and I'm, I'm curious to hear about your thoughts. I mean, 70 years on the throne, the amount of people that she would have had to, you know, the number of prime ministers, obviously heads of state yeah. that she would have had to deal with. You, you obviously gain an incredible amount of wisdom over that time. And, you know, she was thrown into that position at such an early age and the way she's handled herself with grace and poise and, and it's just been incredible. So I, I think that would be an amazing meal to have. I, I would imagine, though, if the queen... So if so, in your this dinner of five, let's just say they're together. Let's say you had them together. Would there have to be that same sort of normal pageantry that would have to happen if the queen was at a, at a function today? Or do you think no, all think of that's we'll out the window? <laughs> we'll have to throw out the good and okay. see we just like uh, six mates meeting okay. up. <laughs> okay, all right, okay. Because I think that would change the but, dynamic a, a bit, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, I mean, there, there was the other person who who nearly made it, but like I, I yeah, kind of like David Attenborough. So David oh, Attenborough, yeah, I yeah. think you know he's another one which yeah, might amazing. have loved having there. But yeah, I mean, um, I think it's just like so so amazing for you know like the Queen, all the stuff that she's done. I think she like kind of you know there was about seventeen prime ministers in yeah, her time. Yeah. So that's that's just phenomenal. I mean, you know, she's gone through wars and everything. So, um, so yeah, I, I I just think you know, getting her perspective on things and also how you deal with a lot of stuff. Because you know, I'm not like the most um, you know person that's so fond of the royal family mm. that knows everything that's going on. But I think you know, if anyone in the world, if you ask them who the queen is, they would probably know. Yeah, because sure. you know, she's had such a long reign yes. and you know, with the Commonwealth as well. So, yeah. yes, I think there's so much knowledge to share there. Yeah, yeah, I love those five. 
Uh, the last question beyond the circle of life, what do you know for sure? And before you answer that, I got to qualify this because a guest did point out they're like, well, I, I know nothing, especially because with that question in some religions, there's a continuum beyond after you die. And so um, I don't even know if the circle of life is true. And I was like, okay, fair point. What I actually mean is that in when the physical vessel that we're in and that ends at some point and we know that that to be true, um, what else do you know for sure? Hmm, that's a very interesting one. Um, so I I kind of firmly believe that, you know, almost like karma, I would say, you know, what goes around comes around. Yeah. And um and I really feel that, you know, if if you um if you do stuff that is good and you give back that you'll kind of receive that back. And you know, the opposite true as well. If you just like a grumpy negative person you know you you're always gonna kind of find that um that comes back to you and um i mean there's something that i heard from i think it was tim ferris or it was in one of his books where he said you know if you go about your day and you meet an asshole i don't know if i'm allowed to swear no you yeah. can swear people always <laughs> say that one. and i'm like no it's all um, good <laughs> You, you might have run into an asshole. Yeah. If you run into your second asshole, yeah. you know, they, it, again, it might just have been. But if you run into the third asshole for the day, you know, maybe have a look because you might be that asshole. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, kind of just like look at, you know, giving back and sometimes just like take that first step and, you know, just like smile or just like say hi to someone unexpectedly and, you know, just like compliment people. I I really like to, in a day, see to maybe do something random of kindness, you know, at least once a day, whether it is saying to someone their hair looks nice and they're a complete stranger or, you know, that, you know, they've got some like a nice dress on or, you know, just help out someone make, you know, ask them how, how you can make their life a little bit easier because you don't know when you're going to be in a position where you would really, you know, you're in a bad place and you would just love to hear that one compliment to pick you up for the rest of the day. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's mine. <laughs> I love that. Um, thank you, Mariska. I, I really appreciate the conversation. I appreciate everything that you're doing uh, when it comes to your work and the awareness that you're raising. And, and it's, it's so important and it's really neat the way you're doing it. And, and I, I just appreciate being able to connect with you today about all these topics and, and you know, just uh, thank you for, for joining us today. We'll put all of Mariska's info in our show notes and where you can reach her and access her artwork and check it out. And maybe, maybe you'll purchase one of those NFTs. You never know. But Mariska, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. And, and hopefully we get to connect uh, one day in the future. I do. Thank you so much for having me. It's really been great. And yeah, I just loved it. I mean, we can probably talk on for, for hours. I think so. so thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.